Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have the plan available on our website, growth.church. And as usual, if you've got questions that you would like us to take some time to answer, we would love to field those questions. We try to make time at the end of every podcast to do so. Uh, so there's two ways you can send us those questions. One, you can send us an email uh, to the address info at grove.church, or you can direct message our Grove Church Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State, and you can send us a direct message there and we get the questions as well. So we'd love for you to do that and send them in. All right. Well, this week we're going to kick it off with Proverbs. This week we're reading chapters 6 through 12. And like we mentioned last week, Proverbs is one of those, it's it's a really hard book to do a... Um, to do a recap of because it's so disjointed, I guess is the way to put it, but not in a bad way. It's just... It's yeah, that, a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. It's a bunch of just advice. Well, mostly. We'll yeah. talk about that here in a sec. So the first section in chapter six, it deals with just some practical warnings and it reads as a father's son, basically a dad giving advice to his kid. And so it says, you know, work tirelessly to get out of a situation where you're indebted for someone else, which is, hey, you know what? Good advice. Yes, very <laughs> good advice. I had to look this one up because when I was reading it, I was like, what on earth does this even, what is this talking about? But it's talking about a situation where you assume the debts of another person, but then they're not upholding their end of the bargain. So basically it's, yeah, if you're if you're in a massive amount of debt like that. It's like a cosigner. Yeah. Okay. That's a good, that's a good, man, I've never had to cosign. So there you go. I, I haven't think either, it. but my parents have. So um, thank you, mom and dad. Thank, thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Den. Uh, but so work tirelessly to get out of that is the first piece of advice. Uh, secondly, it's just to the sluggard, which is my favorite word for laziness. If you, cause you, if you call someone lazy, that's pretty insulting, but maybe they'll just forget about it. If you call someone a sluggard, then it's like, okay, whoa, maybe I do need to change my life a little <laughs> bit. So it's reminding people to stop being lazy and work hard. Um, next up is, you know, this idea of being a person of your word and not slimy. So don't, you know. Let your yes be yes, as uh, someone famous once said. And then finally, uh, it's just a list of things which God hates, which is, you know, I, for one, am all about not doing things that God hates. So that's a good, it's a good way to live your life. If you hear nothing else, dear listener, don't do what God hates. We should also say that Aaron is recovering from sickness, dreaded sickness. I apologize for my nasally voice. I hate it. No, you're good. So I just want, you know, if the listeners are wondering why maybe I'm talking more this episode or... You're a little bit more quiet. Yeah, you know, just or let them you in. Hear the, the random click of a lozenger in my mouth. I'm trying not to let <laughs> it do go. that, but I'm trying to keep my voice from getting what's I don't even know shot. So. Also, don't worry, it's not big Rona. So it's no, just, it's not. There it's are actually, there are other diseases. This is my head cold that I get every spring, um, and so it starts in the sinus. Anyways, you don't need to know this, but yeah. So this was just a head cold that I'm I'm on the back end of, and I'm I'm almost fully recovered. You just get the. You get the beautiful voice there you go. that I have right now. So nice, you're welcome. A nice gravelly voice. Uh, so for the rest of chapter six and seven, there are warnings about adultery, which you know what? Hey, good, th- good thing to warn against. Uh, and it's, although I, I put in the notes, it's kind of weird coming yes. from a guy who has 300 wives and 600 concubines, but you know, it's, it's still good advice. It's the classic do as I say, not as I do approach, which I don't highly recommend that. Me and Hunter, we were talking, me and Hunter, our worship pastor, we were talking about how um, you have to judge worship music basically off of the merits of what it says and not off of the merits of the author. Cause some, you know, some authors are kind of, they're just out there a little bit, but he, he said, uh, if I, if I only picked worship songs from people who like 
were basically like in that upper echelon, I would never be able to pick any worship song. And that's kind of how I feel a little bit about it. The Proverbs, you know, yep. take, if the advice is good, the advice is good. Even if Solomon himself, although I guess, I don't know, in fairness, did he commit adultery <laughs> or is it just like, is he just being the worst? I don't know. Anyway, point being. You just opened up a whole can of worms. I know. Yeah. There's Yeah. Anyway, all that to be said. Solomon himself, maybe not the best follower of his advice, but the advice against adultery is really good. Uh, and then chapters eight through nine, this is, I wrote, um, it's a common feature in, I believe, I believe it's in every wisdom book except for Song of Solomon. I didn't look, so, well, I should say, it is for sure in the other four. I didn't check Song of Solomon to see if it's in there, but the other four books all have a section where it's just a poem about the value of wisdom. And so this is one of the ones in Proverbs, and it just says this, or this is, sorry, this is it. All of chapter eight is a, and nine are poems about wisdom, but I took this little section here. It says this, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign. By rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles who govern justly. All nobles who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. And my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasures. So it's 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 written from the perspective of essentially wisdom talking about itself. Uh, and that you'll see that theme in Proverbs a lot where wisdom is kind of personified more than in the other ones, but or in the other book uh wisdom books. But it is it is just kind of just incredible. The two themes that go throughout Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes is really this idea that number one, Wisdom is very much worth having. And number two, um, wisdom begins with the Lord. Understanding who God is, following God's law is the beginning of wisdom. So an important thing to keep in mind. Um, and then finally, chapters 10 through 12, this is where we really get the idea of you can't, you just can't recap this because it's just a bunch of really quick yeah. hits. So I just, I literally read through it and I just picked out a few that I thought were uh, either just really good or maybe a little bit convicting. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, but one, I'll just read them off. So number one, uh, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So basically getting back to that theme of like, Hey, don't be a, don't be a sluggard, be a, I don't know what a cool word. What's I'll be a road runner. That's not, they're not actually all that fast. I don't be a cheetah. Don't be a slug. Uh, next up hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Boy, isn't that advice that we could take every day yeah, right. is, uh, just, you know, allow, the love that we have for others to cover their offenses. Uh, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. That's a good one right there. But, so I, I, read, I read it and I was like, how often like in my life, especially in my more impetuous youth, I suppose you could say. It's a good way to say it. But did I, how often was I just like, it's just a joke. Like, you know, don't worry about it. And you realize like, He's saying like, yeah, you're a fool if you're uh, if you're sinning and doing wrong things, and it's just it's like a joke to you. So there you go. Uh, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Always a good reminder. I think pride is one of those. Um, it's one of those sins that is universal. 
Because I think there's some like, you know, there's some sense like, well, people talk to you and it's like, well, yeah, I've never had to walk through that. But like, you're kind of like understanding them. Pride though, that's everyone. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I don't know of anyone who's like, uh, yeah, never struggle with pride. Uh, and then the last one I wrote down is whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid, <laughs> which is just, geez, Solomon, fine, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's so hard. But yeah, this idea of... The, if you want to be if you want to be wise, you should love it when people bring correction, godly correction. You should love it when people point to the ways in which you are wrong. And this one for me is really convicting because I, I my default when someone's like, "Yeah, you're wrong," is like, "Well, you're wrong," or <laughs> "Your face is wrong." Yeah, like, and it's my default is to immediately show that no, 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 I'm not wrong instead of actually taking stock of like, okay, well, may, you know, maybe I do need to change the way I'm thinking about that. So. There you go. I would encourage all of you, dear listeners, as you're reading through Proverbs and specifically that section, uh, take a chance to try and just write out a couple that stick out to you. Uh, Proverbs is really good that way. And that's what it's going to do. Yeah. Well, before we move on to numbers, I do want to take a moment to say like, hey, you know, hey, listener. Have you left us a five-star review yet? (laughs) Because if not, you should. if, if If you haven't yet, it sure would be swell. And you could leave us a five-star review, just like Ruby did. And she said, well, her title of the review is review with three exclamation points. It says, great job, guys. Love the podcast. I always listen to you guys every Tuesday night while I work. You guys make me look forward to going to work. Anyway, your podcast has been a blessing to me. Sorry this review came in so late. I've been meaning to give you guys that five-star review in all caps. So she's been listening for a while. So Here thank you, Ruby. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ruby. As always, like we say, um, it just helps get the podcast out there to more people and continuously grow this community of people reading the Bible together. So we really do appreciate it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I think it's fun that you, I mean, even you look forward to going to work because you get to hear us literally banter back and forth about scripture. So uh, it's humbling and it's exciting. And I just appreciate appreciate that review. So thanks. Uh, if If you've been thinking about leaving a review, can I just say... Stop what you're doing right now. Push pause on the podcast. Leave us a review because it'd be great. Uh, anyways, appreciate that. Um, I'm going to jump us into the book of Numbers uh, because we are starting the book of Numbers. And here's what this means. It means we made it through Leviticus, guys. Woo. We made it all the way through. Uh, and so I want to say well done. Uh, we're starting the book of Numbers. We're going to hit the first eight chapters. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you. The book of Numbers is a little rough uh, to start reading. Uh, it's a little bit easier after Leviticus, but it is a little rough because uh, the title of this book is numbers for a reason. Um, so I'm going to give you kind of a very uh, quick breakdown over the entirety of the book, um, hit a couple of the chapter or hit, hit a quick intro of the chapters. Uh, but really it's about God bringing his people. It's a continuation of Exodus, but him preparing his people to enter the promised land. And he gets, this is why the census happens. There's actually two censuses that happen. Uh, and that's the whole idea of numbers. And so uh, I'll just jump into this. Uh, the whole idea of uh, the English title uh, of numbers derives from uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Nay, um, And I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, uh, especially with my nose. And it's, my not way, it's not Weikra. <laughs> no, it's not Weikra. Uh, but it's based on the idea of two military censuses that happened in chapter 1 and 26. So that's where you get the English title, the Septuagint, the Greek title is Numbers. Um, the Hebrew title, which I thought was really cool too, is, is Bemid, I don't even know, Bemidbar. Um, and it means in the wilderness, uh, which describes the Ooh. geographical location and the setting of much of the book. Because in essence, this is the continuation of not just Exodus, but they're in the wilderness, leaving Sinai go into the plains of Moab, and then they come to the east side of the Jordan River, 
uh, as they prepare to enter into Jericho to start taking over the promised land that God has given them. So, uh, so that's the context. That's the title of Numbers. Uh, that's why it's called Numbers. It's Numbers for a reason because there's two major censuses, which is why you're going to read name after name after name, especially right at the gate. A um, couple things about the background of this book. Um, like I said, it already continues the narrative from Exodus. It actually, one of the the, the things that I read in, in our Logos Bible software that I use uh, is it actually starts one month after Exodus ends, uh, which is kind of fun to see like the, the almost the exact time frame, uh, which is about a year after they left Egypt. So um, Exodus takes place, they leave Egypt. Um, and at about a year later is when Numbers is written about a month after Exodus ends. Uh, it covers the remaining 39 years of the Israelites' stay in the wilderness. Um, so Numbers, at the end of Numbers, we see the end of their wilderness journey, um, which is really cool. They go from Sinai to Kadesh and then finally to Plains, uh, of, on the, again, on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, these two censuses, uh, I thought this was interesting. The first census organized the people into marching units to better defend themselves. Uh, so you see this description and this direction from the Lord about how to uh, set up the tribes of, of Israel and w- how they are to go forward because in, the way that they set themselves up is they're protecting the center, the tabernacle, the Levites, they're protecting the people and they're surrounding themselves with their military might, with their uh, with the different tribes in different locations, almost like a square, but each taking a side mm-hmm. uh, to protect uh, and so that's the purpose of the first census is that way as they're marching into the promised land, they're able to then defend themselves better. Uh, the second one, which is at the end of Numbers, oh, sorry, that they, they're they journeying towards the promised land. That's to better defend themselves. At the end of Numbers, you see uh, another census take place. And this is pre- to prepare them to actually go into the promised land, go across the Jordan River, start taking over the promised land, starting with Jericho. Um, and they begin to conquer the country that God had promised them. And so that's why the two censuses are taking place. It's also, uh, we'll see, especially in the first chapter, um, the first chapters, sorry, uh, that it really is um, part of their preparation for the Lord uh, has giving them strict guidelines. He's given them uh, a lot of regulations about purity in the camp. He wanted his people to be set apart, to have a lifestyle distinct from the nations around them. They're meant to be a holy people. Uh, and so when God is setting this, um, setting the census in part, which is a bulk of the very beginning of our reading in chapters one through eight, I think it's about four chapters where we're, we're reading through a list of names um, and different tribes of people, which is really exciting. Some of which made it into modern English and some of which didn't. It's very true. I always, I always think it's funny when you read about like the, the sons of Jacob are the famous ones, I suppose, were like Judah, like every pastor's kid has to be named Judah. Yep. And then you have, you know, Benjamin, Dan, all those guys. And then you have Asher's kind of like in the middle, but yeah. you, have, you know a lot of Asher's, but you don't know any Neftalis. Nope. It's just, you know, what are you going to do? It's true. Um, so you see, you'll see in the first few chapters, there's going to be, and one of the, there's going to be names being listed. And here's the thing. If you're anything like me, I have a tendency to just want to skip over them. I have a tendency like, okay, yep, got it. Okay, move on, move on, move on. Um, but one of the things I was reading, uh, this last, probably, I guess in January, I read, uh, through the book of Nehemiah pretty quickly. Um, and there was actually a statement made because Nehemiah does the same thing. There is a sense, not a census, but there is a list of names, a genealogy, so to speak of names of individuals, a list of people. Uh, and one of the, the, the author of the commentary that I read in for Nehemiah just said simply this, he's like the importance of the list of names in scripture remind us that these are real people that God is acting in redemptive and restoration in history, is acting in redemption and restoration in history. 
And I thought it was so profound for me as I'm reading through Nehemiah to be reminded of that today as we're working through numbers this week. Um, I think it's it's a few days in, but as we get to numbers this week, it really is important just to understand like the beauty of scripture is it shows the humanity that God's working with. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really, it's really profound. I'm not saying the thing that I get tripped up on is trying to pronounce all the names, uh, but to be able to work through a list of names to see all that God has done and is doing through his people and setting them apart. And while history may forget these names, scripture does not. Like while uh, a lot of people won't remember these names, God doesn't forget. And, and I think that's a really powerful picture too. Well, I think it also just shows the difference between what the Jewish Old Testament authors were doing versus what authors of myth were doing in this in a similar time period. Because, you know, for instance, when you read like the Greek myth, it's not like, and then, you know, Theseus defeated, oh, is it the Minotaur? I can't remember. Anyway, that's not the important part. I, I don't know. But after, after the, the mythological stuff happens, it doesn't go. And this person was the governor of Athens from this year to this year. And his sons went and like, it, it doesn't give you a list of the actual real people because that's not what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Um, here, it's very clear that they're not writing myth. They're writing history. Yeah. They're writing these things happened and they're recording the history of their people and who were around. who were there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it is, um, yeah, it's it's a very, it's a, it's a cool defense of our faith, I suppose, is that when you're reading scripture, it is very clearly written as a recorded history. It's not written as fantastical legends, yep. is another way to put it. Agreed. Uh, and so I'm just going to read the first four verse, verses of Numbers 1. Uh, and it says this, that the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the wilderness of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after Israel's departure from the land of Egypt. This is what he says. He says, take a census of the entire Israelite community by their clans and their father's families counting the names of every male one by one. You and Aaron are to register those who are 20 years or old or more by their military divisions, everyone who can serve in Israel's army. A man from each is, tribe is to be with you, each one the head of his ancestral family. So what God is doing is, is first off, God commanded this, so therefore do it. Um, so Moses and Aaron did what God told them to. They set up and they started listing out names. And this is when I have this picture in my head because some of the uh, the logo software, but also my study Bibles, um, they have kind of this rough picture of what it, it kind of would look like when everybody's as assembled in uh, the proper placement. And it's this remarkable picture of, on again, that, that square picture where on each side is three different tribes in their, in their assembly of all of their able-bodied men um, and, and their military might. They're there to protect as they journey to the promised land. And so I think it's a very profound picture, but they do this for a reason. God is working to set a, a, a nation apart from himself. There's a lot of work that's required. That's why the book of the law is so important and imperative to understand God was setting a standard and precedent for his people himself. Um, the last thing I'll read real quick is actually from the, the commentary that I love called Preaching the Word. It's a series uh, who's the chief editor is Kent Hughes, uh, which a good friend of ours actually knows him, which oh. is kind of fun. Ann Albrecht, she knows Kent Hughes. Really? Yeah, she knows all the famous she pastors over there. It's because she's smart. And she's well-connected. But um, he's the chief editor. The author of this commentary specifically is, uh, I don't even know has, how to pronounce his name. Uh, so if you're listening, I'm sorry. Uh, but I think it's Lame, eh, Lane, not Lame, Lane <laughs> M. Duguid. Um, but anyways, he's the author of this. And this is what he said, which I thought was really kind of fun to, to read. Just gives you a little bit of an insight uh, into a pastor because he writes as a pastor to other pastors. But it says this, before I began the work on this volume, I had little exposure to the book of Numbers. 
I'd never preached on a text from Numbers, nor as far as I know it have have I even heard a sermon on the book of Numbers. According to my anecdotal, got you, Evan, surveys of other pastors, I'm far from being alone in that regard. When I told another Old Testament professor that I was currently preaching from the book, he expressed the opinion that it was scarcely meant to be preached. What I found as I proceeded, and this is important, uh, and I hope that this encourages me as we read Numbers this week. What I found as I proceeded was that the book of Numbers confronted us week by week with the challenge to live faithfully as pilgrims and aliens in a wilderness world and the encouragement to look to the one who has gone through this wilderness ahead of us. In broad terms, we may see that the story of the book of Numbers is the story of two consecutive generations, a generation of unbelief that leads to death and a generation of faith that will lead to life. Um, I thought that was such a beautiful way to to, to stop and think about Numbers for a second, where you see in Exodus, this generation that has been killed off because they complained, they thought going back to Egypt would be better, and God got annoyed with them and said, okay, fine, you're going to wander, in essence, until you die off. And then the next generation, it's your, your turn. And so through this journey, it's a circle almost. They, they journey the wilderness and they circle back to where they started, um, getting ready to enter the promised land. And the response is different. So you see one generation who is um, faithless, they doubt, they think it's better to go back to slavery. Um, and you see another generation who God has shown his faithfulness to, just like he did with the previous generation, but they, uh, I think they're sick of wandering and they want to enter the promised land. And so they, they get to that point. Uh, so I thought it was such a beautiful redemptive circle, so to speak. Um, but we're going to read the book of Numbers this this, uh, this this month, really, this week, start it, and then really kind of dive into it. But that's just kind of a quick overview. Um, I really didn't want to read much of the book of Numbers because most of it's genealogies and lists of names. Um, so I'm being kind of selfish that way. But that's just to kind of give you an overview as we jump in this this week. Yeah, it's just good. It's good things to keep in mind that as we read those genealogies. I think that was a great point is remembering that it's showing that it's real people. It's, this isn't just kind of stories. Um, I think the other thing too, the, the, the convicting thing about numbers is it, it never ceases to blow my mind that the generation that saw God part the Red Sea never saw the promised land. Um, it's so true. <laughs> like, like they see, like of all the miracles in Exodus, and there's a bunch, the 10 plagues and the parting of the Red Sea are like the coolest ones are cool yeah. is maybe the wrong word, but the ones that are just the most awe-inspiring. Most extravagant, yeah. yeah. Extravagant's a great word. Um, but the generation that actually goes in the promised land, they see much lesser miracles, but they trust God. And so yep. it, it is a really cool lesson there. The only the only one who saw the promised land from that, or not the only one, but Moses That's saw true. from a distance, right? Joshua saw it. He was there at the very beginning. And Caleb, yeah. And Caleb. But beyond that, there's not really anybody saw, and Moses saw from a distance, and then died on a mountainside, and then was and, buried. And Joshua and Caleb were specifically exceptions. <laughs> yeah, like that God says. And God even said, "Yeah, because they were the only two that said, man, we could take, we could take this land.'" Spoilers. Like, wait a minute. Oh yeah, sorry. Just delete that. <laughs> sorry, listeners. Uh, anyways, let's get into Romans. Uh, this week we are starting in chapter eleven, and we're finishing up the book. Uh, and Which it kind is of so unfair. Romans is such a profound book. It it's really so is. incredible to only spend a couple weeks on it. I, I get it. We're reading the Bible in a year, but yep. um, so crazy. That... Re- read it twice, listeners. Just go 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 back over it again. Uh, but in chapter eleven of Romans, Paul speaks about how God has used Israel failing to uphold the old covenant to bless the world, which is kind of this. It's a. It's not a paradox. That's the wrong word because it makes sense. But it is kind of this. It's this cool idea that 
even in the midst of our human failures, God will work it together for the good of those who love him. Really cool promise. Um, The new covenant is open to both Jew and Gentile. Paul's making sure uh, to talk about that. And so that's kind of chapter 11 is more or less wrapping up that section of the book where he's giving the gospel presentation. He's showing how there is a new covenant. Jesus has ushered it in. It applies to both Jews and Gentiles. And then starting in chapter 12, really through the end of the book until you get to the you know, what's at the end of every Pauline letter where he's just kind of saying like, hey, say hi to so-and-so for me. Uh, It's really about how do we live in light of what God has done? And this is a really important shift to keep in mind because when we read through the old covenant and specifically we're reading through numbers right now, it is all, if you want God's favor, do these things. And what you see is when Israel stops doing these things, God withholds his favor, not all the way, um, but, you know, he lets things happen. And that's what the cycle of judges is. That's what the cycle of kings is until eventually he essentially completely withholds his favor and Israel and Judah are captured or um, conquered. And then the people are captured and they live in exile in first Assyria, Babylon, Persia, all those different things. In the new covenant, we're not following God's law in order to earn his favor, but rather we're living in light of the favor that God has already given us. And so I, I love how, Paul flips it because what you would what you could expect is here's the list of things to do or not do and then here is how God will bless you. Instead, the way Romans starts off is here's how you failed, here's how God has blessed you, here's what we should do in light of that blessing. So, and these include I'm kind of going to go over them really quick here, but um showing grace to others. So this idea of because God has shown us grace because an immeasurable grace, way more grace than we could. I mean, deserving grace is kind of an oxymoron to begin with, but um, God, because God has shown us grace, we as Christians are called to show grace to others. Um, loving people genuinely, because God loved us so incredibly, we should love people that same way. Um, and we're reading through, uh, it's a book called Irresistible by Andy Stanley. I was reading it last night. I was struck. I'd never thought of this before, but he was talking about how at the last supper, when Jesus says, love each other the way that I have loved you, um, they wouldn't have thought of the cross because the cross hadn't happened yet. I don't know. <laughs> it was just one of those things. True. I, like As soon as I read it, I was like, I have never once put that together. Because when I hear that verse, I always think the cross. Yeah. And, and that's not a bad thing to think of because no. obviously like that is the sacrificial love that Jesus displays. Um, but what he's pointing to in that moment is the way that he'd loved them over the years, the way that he had loved them through his ministry. So I thought that was I thought that was really profound. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just this idea of because Jesus has loved us, because God has loved us so genuinely, we should love others genuinely. Uh, submit to those in authority over you. This is always one of the <laughs> this is always one of the hard ones. Uh, but do we show respect to people who are in authority over us, not just the ones that we voted for? Uh, do we submit to the authority of people who are over us? Not just the ones that we voted for, um, but yeah, it, it's it, it's a it's this crazy thing where as Christians, we're, what are we called to do? Well, we're called to show love. We're called to yeah. show respect. Um, next up, not judging others because Jesus didn't judge us. So I, I love the and he had every right to. Yep. That's the thing, right? Let him who's without sin judge or throw the first stone. Jesus was the only one in that statement in John eight that that was that he he was the only yep. that could throw the stone, and he chose not to. Like yeah. So anyways, I know it's, it's absolutely true. Um, not causing others to stumble, which I think is a really... It's a big one. Well, it's it's important too, because 
there's a lot of freedom in the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. There's like, yeah. I, I can eat bacon now and I had some this morning and it's so good. Um, but more than that, I think it's this idea of how do we love other people well in the sense of how do we act around them? So for instance, um, like I can say, like I, I've I've never struggled with gambling. Like that's never been a thing where it's a constant temptation of mine to go down to the casino and just like waste money. Not that gambling in itself is wrong, but obviously it can be taken to an extreme. <clears throat> so if I know, for instance, that I have a friend who is a recovering a recovering gambling addict, well, yeah, I'm probably not going to say like, hey, dude, we should play poker this weekend. That'd be super fun. Um, even though hey, you want to go hit the slots, yeah, yeah, go hit the slots. But what Paul is getting at is that thing would not be sin for me. It would it yeah. would not be sin to go play poker with my friends or whatever it would be. But I should also have others in mind. And so it's it's are we living our lives in a way not just that we ourselves don't sin, but we also don't cause our brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble as well. Yeah. So well I think Paul makes it a, a stance of maturity as well. Yeah, that's he, true. He he says, I mean he talks about weaker brothers and and stronger brothers and sisters or whatever, but the idea of of strength is um, what's the withholding that that's the reality of strength. I am strong when, when I'm wrestling my son who just loves to wrestle. <laughs> and if I'm, if I'm just going to use all my strength, that's not maturity. That's immaturity. Just that's, RKO your son. And I, yeah, I just like, if I just pin him down every time I don't, but it, the, the real strength comes in withholding. I mean, that's an illusion. That's an even a, a real, a real powerful picture of God withholding himself, withholding his power, withholding his strength. Um, but the idea of a mature follower of Christ is not to, totally operate in freedom, but it's also to recognize and be aware of those around you yep. and and practicing restraint. That was the word I was actually looking for. But the idea of restraint shows more strength than one who lives in freedom. Um, and so there's that idea of maturity that Paul is also alluding to in that statement is not causing us, others to stumble. I recognize that this is going to be a problem. So I will restrain my own freedoms because of you, because I care about you. Right. And I think that's a big deal. Yeah, it's how how do we act around others, and is that leading them further toward Christ, or is it leading them away from Christ? Uh, and then finally, in chapter fifteen, Paul's—it's essentially a chapter about we should live by the example set by Christ. Are we going to be able to do it perfectly? Ob obviously not, but that is the goal. Um, and he says this: this is verses one through thirteen. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good uh, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I love that section right there because that's the whole idea, right? As Christ has done this for yeah. you, do that for others. Uh, verse 8 says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised or, or Jews uh, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesus will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him, 
the Gentiles will have hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So, yeah, it's just this whole idea of what has Christ done for us? Yeah. How can we do that for others? And I think sometimes we do, sometimes we just get it. Sometimes we get it backwards. Yeah. I think sometimes we wait for people, we wait for people to deserve things. When in reality, if if God was waiting for us to deserve Christ's salvation, we would we'd still be waiting for it. Yeah. So it's an I think it's an important ethic there. Um, and then finally, I I always love the ending of Paul's letters. They're not necessarily like applicable. Like you wouldn't like preach them necessarily. Although there's a nice little doxology at the end of Romans. Um, but it's similar similar to the idea that in the censuses of numbers, it's a reminder that it's real people. I think that's also what the end of Paul's letters do is they remind you it's a real, Paul's a real guy who's writing to real people. It's it's almost the, in the same way. Like when I, um, my parents live in California with, my, and then my brother and his wife live down there as well. And their son now. So my nephew, but, hey. uh, but you know, when I, when I like, maybe, maybe I'm talking to my mom and I'm saying bye and I say, Oh, Hey, tell, tell dad hi or whatever it is. It's kind of like what Paul's doing at the end of his letters. He's like, Hey, I'm sitting up with so-and-so say hi to these guys. Oh man, this guy, love him. He's doing a great job. All right. Anyway, see you guys. So it's just a fun little, it's a fun little thing that I enjoy. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, well, it's it's funny because yeah, yeah, you don't preach it necessarily, but I remember hearing a message years ago about um, some of that actual wrapping up of the letters, um, and then diving into the, to the characters that were actually part of it, like Timothy or Onesimus or whoever, yeah, like different. And so it's really it's really a kind of fun to stop and think for a minute, like man, this this is this is a this is a movement. It's it's the power of community. Like, there's so many different layers of preaching there, but yeah, it is. It is literally. It's like, hey, tell mom I said hi. Hey, tell dad I said hi. Or, uh, I just I did it the other day. Hey, make sure you tell your wife I said hi. Like it's just that way. It's it's a way to end a, a mm-hmm. personal touch and a greeting. So, um, hey, and this week we're gonna read three different psalms um, at the very beginning of the week here, and so I'm just gonna rapidly hit them like we normally do. Uh, the psalms we're gonna read are Psalm 69, Psalm 24, and Psalm 117. Uh, and so just to kind of go through them chronologically in our reading plan, uh, not chronologically in the actual number of Psalms. Uh, but the Psalm 69 is a Psalm of David. This is a cry of distress and a sea of trouble. Uh, and I love how the life application study Bible says it this way. It says in describing and kind of breaking down the Psalm very quickly, it says we may have to suffer severely for our devotion to God, but that should cause us to look forward with joy to the day when evil and injustice will be gone forever. Uh, so we see in Psalm 69, this crying out of distress, uh, but the beauty of it is it leads us and should lead us in the moments of distress to look towards God and to anticipate the day when evil and suffering no longer exist. Because um, that is coming. That is one of our future promises uh, that we get to cling to as, as a Christian. Um, I'll jump down to Psalm 17 for a second. This is just a quick hitter. It's the shortest chapter in the Bible. Uh, we read the longest chapter in the Bible two weeks ago, I two, think. Yeah. Uh, and so now we're reading the shortest chapter, Psalm 117. The author is unknown, but the whole theme is this idea of another reason to praise God, God's love for the whole world. We should praise God for his unlimited love. Uh, and that's pretty much the Psalm. So. I, I, for one, I will not stand for not reading it because it's only two verses. So... Dear listeners. So Evan's going to jump in and read Psalm 117. I like Psalm Psalm 24. I want to read Psalm 124. All right, you got it. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. There you go. The end. Shortest chapter in the Bible. There you go. You can Now, if you're listening, you just technically read a chapter of the Bible. Good job. Congratulations. Um, Then Psalm 24 is going to be the one that I want to take a few moments on. Um, 
But we're going to read this one, uh, I think, second in our chronological daily reading plan. Uh, This is a psalm of David. Uh, The theme is this idea that everything belongs to God, uh, which is really important to recognize that he was a glorious and eternal king. And it's this idea of let us worship him and welcome uh, his glorious reign. Um, So I'm just going to read this for us real quick. Uh, You can enjoy it with my uh, cold, coldy voice. Uh, It says this, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. For he laid his foundations on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of God of, ja- of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, you ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is the, he, the, this king of glory? The Lord of all, the armies. He is the king of glory. Uh, and I just love that. I love that psalm because it, I mean, one of the, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 23. One that I a remember, classic. I remember memorizing as like a five or six year old. I don't know it all now, but, um, and then coming around to the heels of that is just another brilliant psalm that I really enjoy. Um, I think it's important to realize some of the things it's talking about. It's talking about that everything belongs to the Lord, everything. And you and I are given uh, authority over God's creation. We are stewards of everything he's given us. Um, we see in this in this psalm that God values purity and honesty. Um, and I love this this uh, this other piece there, like the whole idea of purity and honesty. Like there's a, there's a section devoted to that. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may enter into his holy place? It's those who clean hands, pure heart. Uh, so there's interesting, there's, there's, there's power in purity and honesty. And we're not perfect, but we are perfect because of Christ. We're perfect because of his blood. And we're able to walk in purity and honesty as long as we stay connected to him. So um, the, the then there's this final piece that's re- repeated. And anytime there in scripture, something's repeated, there's a purpose to it. It's to reemphasize uh, what is being said and why, and, and understand why it's being said. Um, and I, I love that it says, lift up your heads. And I didn't, I didn't c- catch this until... Um, I actually was reading my wife's New Living uh, bi- study Bible today, um, and she wrote a note. The idea, and and my wife is brilliant. I love looking at her her notes that she writes in her Bible. Um, she doesn't know that I did that today, so sorry, babe. Um, but she just wrote this statement like, "God, I lift up my head to you," um, and it, it just kind of clicked the whole idea of like, "Lift up you gates, lift up arise, uh, or you doors." I think is what it just said. Um, but it's so the king of glory coming. It's it's anticipation of God's arrival. It's anticipation of this king. And then the question is, who is this king of glory? And this is the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Mm-hmm. And I just love that it personifies the the might, the 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 like the power of God. But it require it should it should cause us to lift up our heads in anticipation that God's going to arrive. Um, and so I just love that song. David writes this. I love that it's it's not intended to follow up Psalm 23, but I love that it does chronologically in our Bibles. Um, but it is a powerful psalm too, and I enjoy it. So um, that's Psalm 24, uh, and that's what we're going to read. All right. Well, before we wrap up this week's episode, we did have a question come in, and it says this. In my NIV, heaven quote unquote, is all lowercase, even though all the other places are uppercase. Back in the dark ages when I was in school, I was taught that all persons and places need to be capitalized. Check out Revelation 21.10. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God. 
So, all right, this is a really good question. And I wanted to just talk about this for a second because yeah. I think it's one of the un- it's one of the unfortunate things about reading a translation from another language because there are things that get lost in translation. So remember, the Old Testament is almost entirely Hebrew. Um, there's a little bit of Aramaic in there. And then the New Testament, I believe, is entirely Greek. There might be some Aramaic in there as well, but it's mostly Hebrew and Greek. Um, when we see the word heaven, a lot of times it's a word that can mean different things. So for instance, in the Old Testament, a lot of times when you see the heavens, it's not referring to the spiritual dwelling place of God. It's referring to the stars, space, the sky, that sort of thing. Um, a lot of times the Greek word that we use for heaven can also be translated and it can mean air. Um, so there in Revelation, that's probably what's going on, is John is saying, not that he's seeing Jerusalem coming out of the literal spiritual dwelling place of the Lord. He's saying that he's seeing the city basically coming down out of the sky. So when you're looking through and it's not capitalized, a lot of times that is what the author is trying to show. I don't know why they don't just put sky because <laughs> that would be a lot easier. But uh, if it's not capitalized, a lot of times that's what the author is trying to show. So just a fun little fun little fact to yeah. look into. Well, and we see it also, I mean, Paul does the same thing. I think it's in 2 Corinthians, he talks about being called to the third layer of heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not saying that there's different dimensions of heaven. What he's saying, he's referring to diff- the different layers of the sky um, or the it, looking up, you see stars. So it is a talking about uh, not a literal noun, but a place that doesn't require a cap. So I, w- I would also proper say- Proper noun, that's the word, proper noun. Yeah. I would also say great investment for anyone is a good concordance. Or they're, I mean, they're also online, I guess, at this point. I just like physical books because I'm a, I'm a Yeah, nerd. you're weird like that. It's true. But, but there's some, yeah, there's some great resources out there um, regarding a concordance that'll give you some clar- clarifying pictures of mm. what these words are meaning. Watch a quick YouTube video on how to use it. But once you know how to use it, it's fun because when you see a word, you can actually look up not just how many times that English word is in the Bible, but how many times is that Hebrew word in there? How's it used differently? And you can kind of pick out some different connections that are a lot harder to pick out if we're only reading essentially direct English translations. So there you go. Well, we won't, Aaron, I won't force you to, uh, to keep recording anymore. Thanks for being a trooper. Dude, I love it. And coming in. Total disclosure for those of you who are listening, we were supposed to record yesterday in our, in our week. uh, And I told Evan said, I'm homesick. So uh, today I feel much better, but you just got the, you got the fun Barry Manila voice. There you go. Nice, nice and low. Nice and low. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we're a podcast of The Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of The Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources on our website, grove.church. And finally, if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that The Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. But thanks for listening. Have a great day.